tēnā koutou i te whānau o te kōna ipurangi nei tū tāne, ko Appa Wātini tōku ingoa. Hello to the Becoming Tāne podcast family, my name is Appa Wātini. This is a podcast about growing great guys, and how we do this is by sharing guys' stories. Today's episode is episode 6 of season 1, and the title of today's podcast is Be Authentic, Be You. We are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to us today. We have a fantastic guest. His name is Ezra Hidawani. But before we listen to Ezra's story, I want to remind you on how you can find us or make contact with us. Our website is www.becomingtani.men. That is www.becomingtani.men. Dot com. We have an email. Our email is info at becomingtane.men. That's info at becomingtane.men. And we can be contacted uh, through Facebook. Um, our handle on Facebook is at becomingtane. So let me introduce our guest, Ezra Hirwani. Ezra was born in Tokoroa. He has three siblings and Ezra is the second eldest. Ezra was educated at Church College of New Zealand. He also attended WinTech where he completed a Bachelor in Applied Management. While at WinTech, he received the Prime Minister's Scholarship. Ezra has worked at Waitua Meatworks, the Warehouse, Armaguard, Waikato Chamber of Commerce and has had a number of side hustles, them being Cheat Day, Toki, and Kōrero Bro. Ezra is the co-founder of New Zealand's first Māori power company called No Mai Rā. Ezra is married and has been married for three years and has three beautiful daughters, Blake, Harley, and Chili. Kia ora, Ezra. Kia ora. I believe that we are who we are because of the sum of our life experiences. So the first question that I have for you, Ezra, is what two events in your life has had the greatest impact on you? Um, one event was I remember when I was working and I wanted to go on a holiday and um, I was told that I wasn't allowed to go. Um, and I had already booked the ticket, so I was going anyway. Um, but I just kind of had this realisation that I had no control over my life and that it kind of sucked that you know, someone else was making decisions for what I had to do. And so I, and I didn't like that, so I, I ended up leaving the job. And it was a good paying job, a really good paying job for, for me at the time as well with the young family. And, yeah, it just taught me that, you know, if, if I want full control of my life, then I have to take full control of my life. Um, so that was number one um, that's really helped me. The second one was when I was leaving for China. As you read in the bio there, um, I took my, my oldest daughter, who was eight months at the time of my wife, with me. Um, and my dad told me then that this was my time to show him that I'm ready to be a dad. You know, you're going off, you know, no one over there, you know, you don't even know the language over there, you know, nothing about China. Um, and so just as I boarded the plane, he said, you have to now grow up and be a man and take care of your own family. And so those two experiences together really shaped, you know, the way and the path that I'm on now and that I want to take control of my own life and that I need to also remember that I'm a father and take care of my family in the meantime. Look, I've read multiple, um, you know, blogs and, and watch vlogs and books around people that have achieved their dreams in life, but unfortunately have left their whānau behind. 
And so I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so in terms of two events, those are the ones that have really helped me um, shape the way that I want to you know, continue to lead my life. So how long were you in China for? Um, so we had a scholarship for two years and we came home six months in and decided not to return because of my wife being hapu. She wanted to give, yeah, she, she didn't want our baby over there. In terms of your, your holiday experience, prior to that, did you have any, anything that sort of motivated you? Because I noticed you, you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur type person. Did you have any inclination that you wanted to go into that space prior to that? Yeah, yeah, I had a couple of friends that were um, dabbling in, you know, different things, like buying things. At that time, everyone was kind of buying things of Alibaba and selling it off for more sort of thing. Um, and it was before everyone started finding about AliExpress. And so I started selling stuff on there and started realizing, you know, I could make way more money selling sunglasses than, you know, going to a job for 40 hours a week. So, yeah, and that's where it, where it started to finally grow. But I was doing that to supplement income for a job that I have, and I thought, you know, having a balance would be really good. Yeah, and so when that kind of crossroad came, I was like, well, it's probably now time to, you know, give up the side, turn the side hustle into something actual, you know, that I could live off, so. The decision to turn your side hustle into your full-time gig, was that a difficult decision for you? Yeah, yeah, it was. Because I, um, I kind of did it backwards, you know. I, I did it when I had a child and was married. And so if, if I did it before I had the responsibility of being a father and a husband, then it would have been a lot easier because I could just make mistakes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I remember I bought a car off Trade for $500 in the dark with no prior knowledge of mechanics of a car and how it works and stuff. And, on the way, and I bought it for 500 to hopefully sell it for a grand. And it broke down on the way home. And my wife has never let me forget that, you know? Like, so, and those experiences always hang over your head that, you know, if I lose $500 by myself, it would be easy. But if I'm going to lose it, $500 for my family's like our mortgage for the week, you know? So it's kind of, so that decision to make it was, you know, had a lot to do with how that would impact my, my growing whanau. So, yeah, very, very hard choice to make. Is it difficult for you to try and balance business in Fano and what do you do to try and do that? Bro, I, I come up with a, like about a year ago the theory that this like balance just doesn't exist. You know, you just, like it's just life, you know? And so like, but to answer that question, yeah, bro, it's, it's pretty hard. Um, in lockdown, my hours are 10 till 12. Then I have a break for a couple of hours. Then I'll work another hour and I'll stay up and I'll work from midnight till three. You know, just try and make sure that everyone gets you know, part of my battery sort of thing. How did you figure out those times? Um, it just kind of, you know, worked out that way. My wife wanted to watch movies or Netflix from, you know, 9 till 10 that extended till 11, you know, that extended to midnight. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll give her some time and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to sleep in anyway. So then I thought, oh, yeah, I might as well just lock myself in my office for a few more hours and then just sleep in anyway sort of thing. And then by the time I woke up, it was like nine o'clock anyway, so I could have, you know, breakfast with my girls and muck around a little bit and then have an excuse because I already watched Netflix for three hours last night to be able to put in another two, three hours in the day sort of thing. So then, yeah, and then we just started finding out that it actually worked with, you know, with who we like this, with different people that 
there was only certain parts of the day that other people were working too. So. It sounds like it works for you. The next question I have is about key decisions. What were three key decisions in your life that led you to where you are today? Um, well, one, the decision to get married young. My wife has a lot of you know, say in what I do, and I, I deem that as a positive thing because she thinks a whole lot differently. To you know, I think women are just a whole different kettle of fish, bro. You know, so the way that they approach problems and situations really helps me. You know, with what I need to be doing. Um, the decision to serve a mission. So I, I um, served a volunteer mission for two years for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, when I was 19, and just the um, the exposure it gave me to third world country and the way that people live in third world um, really helped me understand like what I have in life and what my parents have given me is actually quite a lot. And so it gave me a grounds of gratitude sort of thing. So when I came back, you know, I had less of a me, me, me attitude, more of how can I help other people sort of thing. Um, and then the last decision was probably that decision to leave, you know, employment forever. Because when I made that decision, it wasn't just I'm going to leave this job. It was I'm going to leave this path altogether. Like I'm not going to go back and get another job. And so, yeah, that was probably my final decision. So in terms of getting married young, so you're 19, went on a mission, come back. How old were you when you did get married? Uh, I proposed to my wife three days after I got home. So you knew her before you left? Yeah, so I, I was playing footy over in the States and we were kind of pen pals. And then when I came home, I was only home for about a month. And so we didn't actually decide what was going to happen. And so I got home with my family, then straight on the plane where I was off to. So it just worked out nicely in the end. <laughs> wow, that's a good story in and, in and of itself. Within the Waikato area, there are a number of organisations that are supporting men in their journey. One of these organisations is the Male Support Services of Waikato. The founder and manager of the organisation is Mike Holloway, and he is here to share with us what their services is all about. It started because there's no support for uh, fellas out there. Everything was pretty much perpetrator-based. Being a survivor myself, I had to go through the ropes with my family, and we were virtually asked to set something up. 2008 uh, was when we registered the trust. At the beginning, it was just myself, and it was just one-on-one -on -one with other survivors and virtually walking some of the journey with them. There's guys who have been uh, sexually abused as kids or at some stage in life, and we're not talking about perpetrators, we're talking about uh, victims. The trust has really grown, so we do still do the one-on-ones. We've got three or four groups going. We also support the families. Uh, we do social work do anything that will move the guy forward, court work, anything. It's growing, so we're getting about two and a half referrals a day, so so we're looking at perhaps a new building. I want to grow the work in prisons. We extended it from sexual abuse to physical, mental, emotional and domestic abuse, so we need to try and hook him with the DHB, schools, etc., and look at Kaupapa Maria. If a guy wants some support here in the Waikato, Hamilton uh, region, how do they get in contact with you? We don't have a lot of paperwork for referrals, so it's just a phone call or an email or a text or on the website. Just a quick notification and we'll contact them and then we'll sort it out from there. We make it as easy as possible. www.waikatasurvivors.org.nz 0800 677 289. The Trust is a tonga for our men in the Waikato and what we're trying to do is saying Waikato look after their men. 
The website again is waikatosurvivors.org.nz and their number is 0800 Welcome back to Becoming Tane Podcast. I believe that we're all born with a superpower. And I define superpower as a particular skill, ability, or attribute that makes you you. It's your secret source. It is what people remember uh, remember about you. So, Ezra, what's your superpower? Um, I thought about this, bro, and I like. I don't know if this answers the question at all, but my superpower is being Ezra. Like no one is better at being me than me. Um, and I say that because I believe that authenticity is the way people have to be like living now in the digital age. And so because I was like, oh, I can sell, I can do this, I can do that. But really, when I go into meetings and stuff, I just, I don't care what people think of me. I just go in there and just be me. Mm-hmm. And it, and a lot of times it works because but they can't argue with who I am. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not that answer to the superpower because, I mean, no one else can have it. But, yeah. I'm just going to ask you a question. You talked about authenticity in the digital age explain that a little for me oh bro i think COVID 19 has shown that you can robotize anything you know you can just make so many things obsolete through technology you know like you can learn off youtube you can learn off whatever you want but what things that are uniquely human will never be taken away you know so authenticity is one thing that you can never take away from people when you talk to a, a computer it has no personality so, I mean, it's your personality that will separate you for years to come still. I mean, until cars start talking, you know, it's it's what makes us uniquely human that separates us from one another. So, All right. Let me read out what your wife, your significant other, told me about you. She said you're motivated. She has never met a more motivated person than you. The eight years you've been married, I can't remember a time when... He hasn't worked on a side hustle or a business venture. I see him at times struggling to relax because his mind is ticking with new ideas and ways to, to better the business he is currently doing. I've seen firsthand the hard mahi he has put into everything he does. Bottom line is when he wants something, he is consistently motivated to make it happen. Negotiating, although it doesn't work with her so well, from his ties to Chinese trading to working with others to get the best results. He is confident in his ability to negotiate. The last one is connecting with others. I admire my husband for this. I've seen him in action, creating connections and bringing out the best in others. He makes whoever he works with feel immediately comfortable. It's insane the broad connections he had. He has in different industries. Let's be honest. He always has the gift of the gab. What What do you think? What do you think of what she thinks about your superpower? Oh, it's nice to hear. She doesn't tell me that stuff very often. In fact, I don't think she's told me that at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's real different hearing it from someone else because um, I'm, like, I'm, real, I'm a real nervous person. Like, I don't like talking in public. I don't like, you know, I get all, like, shaky and panicky and stuff before. That's why I asked you, like, are we going live and stuff like that, you know, because I was like, yeah, but that's that's different from just a chat with a couple of bros, you know. So, yes, I mean, I don't think it's true <laughs> what she's saying. 
<laughs> but yeah, the perspective's definitely. Um, I mean, I can see what she's saying because she'll just watch me do things, and the fact that she's only seen me do it, like I don't know, I wouldn't call it much of an element, or you know, in action, it's just she's seen no one else. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I'm interested that you, you mentioned that you get really nervous, but in uh, her her one of her explanation of negotiating. Um, she mentioned that you are confident in your ability. How, how do you go from being someone really, really nervous to being someone so confident in your ability to, one, negotiate? Oh, I would, I would never said I was confident to negotiate in this place. But maybe because um, generally my, our negotiation conversations have happened over, you know, hot chocolate here and then like a, a, a kai here and and it kind of naturally evolves. Like I don't, I don't know if it's implying because I don't really sit down and say, oh, well, give me $2, no, or $5, you know, but but if I do, I'll give them an understanding of why $5 will, won't work because we want to increase employment. We can't employ anyone if you're only giving us $2. But it's not really, I'm not really confident. I'm just kind of stating facts because the, the confidence is it's different to here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I've heard the saying, you fake it till you make it. Is that something that you employ in how you talk business with other people, or do you just try and be as authentic as you possibly can? Yeah, I try to be as authentic as I can, bro. Like, um, because I've, I've tried fake it till you make it when I was working for other people, and I just got found out. You know, people just, wait, you said this before, now you're saying this now. But what's going on? But that was because I was being driven to make a sale or, you know, so I had other pressures on me sort of thing. So I couldn't just talk from where I wanted to. I always had someone in the background saying, oh, we need this to happen. And so, I mean, if I don't and I don't, I can't feed my family, then you just have to make it, you know, so. What is well-being? To me, well-being means how happy you are with your mind, body and soul. I consider it a positive, emotional, physical, and mental state of existence. Well-being is health, being healthy in the mind, spirit, and body. Uh, for me, it's a place your body feels when it's comfortable, whether it be inside your body or outside your body. Well-being to me is balance in everything, physical, spiritual, emotional and psychological well-being is when your mental physical and emotional health are in, found in to be in good stead well-being for me is, is something that's on the daily um, it's that constant battle to try and find the balance between my whanau my physical my spiritual and my mental well-being what is your definition of well-being Welcome back to Becoming Tarnet. Um, in your bio, you meant, I mentioned that you had some side hustles. You know, the cheat day, toki and kōrero, bro. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from each one of those side hustles? Say for cheat day, what did you learn the most out of that one? Yeah, well, all of them combined, eh, bro. Like, it's just what I found out, um, what I learned from them all, it's just all about the story. 
It's all about why you're doing what you're doing and then learning how to articulate that story and sharing it with others. So, I mean, Tuki, um, Cheat Day, Cordero Bro, and all the other ones that we've done and are doing, um, yeah, if it doesn't have a powerful why translated through a story, then generally the uptake's pretty slow. So, so when you're trying to tell your story, what are the key components of your story? Um, identity. Yeah, it's probably the driving um, piece of any story that we've told. You know, like cheat day, it's story. I was helping my little brother who wasn't good at schoolwork, but he wanted to run a business one day. And so the story was how an older brother is helping his younger brother to a kanatena to achieve his dreams where mainstream can't help him. You know, so we shaped the narrative around that, but it wasn't a lie. It was 100% true. That's exactly what he wanted. And so we just basically told that in a way that people received it well. And so, yeah, that's, that's just what we've done. Cool. So what's the story for Toki? Uh, that's actually where we struggled with Toki. Oh. So Tuesday was a good example of um, a good story. Toki was a really good product and, and a lot of people like it. Because the story also keeps us as an internal team connected. You know, so we're not we're not all about making money. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is our story. And so because of that lack of story, it kind of had us all kind of, we should do this, we should do that, we should do this. So one was the power of the story and one was the absence of sort of thing, which has created that, that learning of you need a story. Yeah. You know, so. It probably yeah. leads well into Cordero, bro. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, so tell me that one. Tell me the story of Cordero, bro. Yeah, Kudabro was me and my little brother again. Um, we kind of had news that one of our friends lost their brothers to suicide. And then a few months later, lost another brother to suicide. And then my little brother almost lost a friend to suicide. And so we were just kind of like, what can we do to help? And Kudabro Bro came out of, again, another story that myself, who's extremely busy with what I'm trying to do, and also, you know, lead a family and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a lot of time to actively go out and ask my friends how they are, and even even strangers, like as an everyday sort of thing. So I don't, so I don't have that time. So we created a symbol that showed that no matter where we were, like if we're at a cafe or at mahi, if someone saw that symbol, that meant that I was someone that felt comfortable having a conversation. If you wanted to reach out to me. And so we built them into lanyards, so just you know, things you can put on keys because you can carry them wherever you want to go. And it was yeah, just it, this, the tagline was a symbol to show that we're keen to quote it or it. Um, and that's where it came from. Like the story was, I'm busy. I can't ask every guy have a have a heart to heart with every guy if I proactively go out. But I'm more than willing to take an hour, two hours out of my day if you stop me in the street, text me, call me to have a conversation. You know, and, and so. That's kind of where Cordero Bro came from. I'd love for Ezra to, to tell us what you're doing now and any information around there. Um, yep, so currently we are working on a project called No Might Art, which is New Zealand's first Kaupapa Māori power company. And so we're just like another Kaupapa, just like another power, every other power company. Um, but instead of driving our profits to the big players of the industry, we share our profits back with Fano. And so when, when Fano pay their power bill with us, 
will use the profit portion of the bill and give it back to their marae um, or to vulnerable whanau who are struggling to pay their power bill. Um, we've found in the journey that you know a lot of whanau are still using their stove um, tops and ovens to heat their whare, which you know, shouldn't be happening, we believe, in this day and age. And so there's a, a number of people out there that use a lot of power, uh, that you know they're paying, say, $80 for their power bill a week or a month, whatever their power situation is. We believe we can use a portion of that to support whanau in need um, no matter where they are, what they're going through. And so that's what we're doing. We're currently 70% in the North Island and are about to launch into um, the South Island um, later on this month. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of us. If you want to, you know, have a check us out, uh, just look us up on Facebook. Uh, no Maira will pop up. You'll see my face and my um, Pākehā Māori uh, partner on there as well. He wears the bone, so he looks Māori, but yeah, he is. He's tutu Māori. But, you know, people just don't think he is. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, you're playing with the big boys in terms of the power company. How's that experience been so far? Yeah, really good. Um, you know, it's always like a, um, you got to do a lot of study behind every meeting that you go into because there's all these things that they'll throw at you and all that kind of stuff that you, you know, inherently don't know a lot about, you know. New Zealand doesn't have a Māori alternative in the power sector. You know, we own a lot of the whenua but we don't actually have a retailer. You know, and there's, there's over 40 different power companies. You know, and so when you come out and you say, we want to be the first offering through an indigenous lens, you know, people start to look at you like, well, why do we need an indigenous lens? You know, like, this is power. You know, so you get all these kind of questions. But we've, we've had huge backing by um, leading figures in the power community. Um, they've been able to help us establish what we have now. Um, and yeah, open up in different areas. So we're well supported by people that just believe in our Pokemon. My name's Darren Paiwai. I own and uh, run uh, Daz's Barber Shop. It's a mobile barber service. Uh, I started by cutting my, my son's hair from a very early age and I uh, just wanted to be better at it. And it wasn't until my good wife said, hey, you better go get your tohu. <laughs> so he sent me off to Auckland. My passion is to help people, so um, I've developed business that um, that I can sort of go out and help people. So I went into the local Kurid and um, plucked a couple of boys out who sort of didn't have a passion of being in school. I gave them a go and then um, I, I sort of taught them not, not only to cut hair, feel confident in cutting hair, but it's more so uh, the conversations you have with people that come into your seat. Um, if you can hold a genuine conversation with your customers, then you're winning at the barber game. A lot of people think if you can cut hair, then you, you're an awesome barber. The reason why I did start a barber business is because um, I wanted something that target fathers, young men, to come into this profession and sort of hold their hand in the business sector and coach them through that side while they enjoyed cutting hair and still, still living that dream. My first week I opened up in Hamilton. I had people come in and at um, 11 o'clock and not leave until 3 o'clock. Just come in and just um, talk about anything, really. Just through experience, um, you, I've come to the conclusion that there's times to speak and there's times to listen. It's that art of being able to, to read that situation. I have one in Hamilton, and that's just freshly um, opened up. So we're, we're parked outside the Melville Club Rooms on Collins Road. I aim to have more of those in the Hamilton region. Um, by the end of this year. The other one is down in Whitehall. It's in the Hawke's Bay. 
So that one just like goes all day, non-stop. My barbershop model is a lot different to other barbershops that I'll see out there now. I'm really here to to help others because I really, really feel that if I help someone else and they succeed, then I succeed. And when I succeed, they succeed. And I can genuinely say that too. Uh, so um, if anyone's out there who wants to, to um, and interested, then, then come and hit me up. Welcome back to Becoming Tani. I believe that life is one of the greatest teachers to us. So with that being said, Ezra, what has life taught you so far? Um, I think we covered a little bit before, but just the importance of being oneself, you know, like not wasting any more time trying to be the next Steve Jobs or trying to be the next whoever, just focus on, you know, being the better you. I mean, it's cheesy as, you, you see all this stuff all over, like, girl Instagram pages and all that kind of stuff, you know, be you and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, it's true, you know, like, it's just, you waste so much time comparing yourself to others that you actually lose sight of who you are and what you want to do in life. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, just a question on that. What do you do to be you? That's a good question. Well, I don't go on social media. If it's not for business purposes, I'm not going anywhere near TikTok. But I don't like social media because I don't like how you have to get other people's approval on what's good and what's bad. But if I take this photo and I get five likes, it means I'm ugly. If I take this photo and I get 20 likes, it means I'm, I'm hot stuff, you know? So it's kind of like those things I just don't want to involve myself in. So I just kind of, I don't know, just keep it to my bubble. You know, <laughs> just, I mean, extend the bubble with my friends and stuff, but that's a good question. Yeah, I, I don't know, I just... Just do you. I see so many people looking at other people trying to be them. What made you decide, no, nah, I'm not going to be them. I'm going to be Ezra Hidawani. Um, A couple of things, actually. Like, one, I couldn't afford to be like other people. So I, mean, so I had to be happy with it at the start. You know, like I love, like even now I can afford to, but I love shopping at Kmart. You know, so one, you know, I like white t-shirts, black t-shirts, blue t-shirts, and that's all I wear. Um, but I don't know, like you just, you know, you go into university, you all study economics, you all study these things, and you all come out looking the same. And so, and it's all on a piece of paper when you start handing it out. So I was like, well, I have to kind of break away here a little bit and make myself look a little different. And so that, that was another reason I wanted to. And it's just cooler being yourself. I don't know, yeah. you don't have to worry about what other people think. How did you be comfortable being different? Bro, to be honest, at the start, it was hard, eh? Like, people would say, why are you doing that? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, and, and, you know, you just, those feelings of like, well, you're not cool anymore and all that kind of stuff just started creeping in. Um, but I just kept doing it. You know, just repeating just over the process. I, you know, started, you know, genuinely not caring. Because, you know, you, like, I know people that say they don't care and they act all tough and stuff. But they care, you know, because like some of them are my mates, and they'll message me and say like, "Oh, bro, like, well, this stuff, I'm like, bro, stop pretending to be like the tough guy, then, and just you know, be you, bro." You know, like it's just you have to come to terms. I mean, it's, maybe those experiences, you know, of like going to work from nine to five and realizing that you know you're not actually doing anything that you want to do. You're actually doing something that someone else wants to do, but you have to do it because you need money to pay for your house. And then realising that you don't have to do that. (laughs) 
my second to last question is, you know, if there was one message that you want listeners to take away from your corridor today, what would that be? Yeah, other than be yourself, um, I think in terms of where I come from and what I like to do in my life, I think the phrase of, because there was something that was given to me, is find something you care about. I think those, those words have impacted me more than any other phrase in my life because once I've found things that I cared about, you know, in business it translates so I can speak from my heart if I care about it when I'm doing it. But if I don't care about it, then it, that's when the fake it till you make it stuff comes in and all that kind of stuff. So being authentic is cool, but when you find something you care about, in business in particular, no one can sell it better than the authentic you. And, and it doesn't even end up feeling like selling. So that might be where my wife's coming from because I don't actually feel like I'm selling it when I, when I talk to people about the co-popper that I do because I believe that it's something that I should be doing So because it's something I care about. And you know, that doesn't mean, because like your kids and your wife, those aren't things you find that you care about. Those are things you instinctively just care about. But when you find that something, all that other stuff that you care about adds to the motivation to that extra, extra something. So yeah, it would be that. Is what you're talking about right now talking about finding your why? Yes, but in a more like smaller way. Because finding your why could be hard and, and sometimes it takes ages, you know, but I know I, I care about suicide prevention, but that's not my why, you know. So when I, if I was to do something in that space, it'd be easy to do it. All right, so the last, absolute last question I have for you is the name of the po- this particular podcast is called Becoming Tani. I've named it Becoming Tani for a couple of reasons. The first reason is Tani Mahuta had a desire to learn and grow. And two, because Tani is the Māori translation for man, male, or husband. So with this being said, in your opinion, what does it mean to become a man? I mean, when you started talking about, when you started, you know, sharing Fukaro on that kind of stuff, uh, the one word that came to my mind was vulnerability. And I don't know if it's being willing to be vulnerable or just the word vulnerable. So I think you grow up with this false perception of what a man's meant to be. And then when you become a man and you look after a family, like I never saw my old man cry, you know. Like, and I'm like, he probably feels the same way I feel sometimes about what it takes to look after three kids and a wife. I mean, together with my wife, not, not just me looking after them. And sometimes it gets bloody hard, like real hard sometimes, you know. And I, But I never saw that vulnerable side. But I'm guessing he had it, like, you know, not in front of his kids, but I'm guessing he had it. But I think the true sense of becoming a man is being willing to be vulnerable with yourself and with those you care about. Now, I don't know if that, I mean, I don't think you should beat up five people and then you're a man, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's just, yeah, feeling, being able to feel vulnerable and be comfortable there. I think that's a beautiful way to finish the interview with you, Ezra. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your wisdom and lots of things that you've said today. And I'm pretty sure many guys will be able to learn from your life and apply some of those learnings into this. Kia ora. No, thank you, brother. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Nō reira, ngā mihi kia koutou i whakarongo mai, uh, kia au i tēnei rā. Thank you for listening to me today. As always, 
Please subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast with your family and friends. Please tell them that we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. I would like to once again acknowledge our very own superheroes, Aaron Moikir, for editing this episode, and Cardinal Sadler for the music for the podcast. You guys rock. Our next episode, we will interview Seth Haynes, who is a business psychologist. Finally, I want to remind you that the Becoming Tane podcast is about sharing men's stories and growing great guys. So, modu order.